0: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: This is the Gator Nation football podcast with your host, Alan Williams and James DeVirgino.
2: This place is an insane asylum in the slap! Oh, my. Now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. It is time for the Gator Nation football podcast brought to you this season by MyBookie.ag. Thanks, MyBookie, for the sponsorship. And thanks to all of you for awaiting patiently this episode. Alan, we're back. It's been an amazing three months. And I wow. say amazing in the actual definitional sense of the world and that the stuff that's happening in the world around us is is beyond anything we would have expected. Uh we've never gone this long without a pod in recent Gator Nation football history. There are good reasons for that, Alan. So much of this stuff was rampant speculation. We just felt like as an analytical podcast, and if you're new to us, we specialize in analyzing what's happening using actual facts, figures, game tape, real concrete things to discuss to create this show. And almost everything was a gossipy rumor mill what's happening. And there's value in discussing that but Alan and I just felt like it was best suited for this podcast to wait until we had something. And here we are now releasing a pod over the summer. So again, thank you so much for your patience on this. We're excited to be back with you. Alan, how does it feel to be back in the studio?
1: It's great, back in the saddle. It's been a while, like you said, and you guys have been asking when we're gonna record, when we're gonna record, and we're trying to be patient and thoughtful, and well, here we are. So just a little bit of what this podcast is gonna be about. Um, we do have an interview with Scott Strickland scheduled for a couple weeks from now. Um, that was getting delayed to the point we want to just go ahead and jump back on the mics, say what's up to you guys. So um, there's going to be a lot of those big SEC kind of conference college football questions we're going to talk to Scott about in a couple weeks, hopefully. But we wanted to to look back a little bit over the summer, kind of note we, where we are at this point, and just try to get a little bit of a feel for the big state of college football. We're going to be doing a season preview episode later in the future. And of course, as we get close to the season, really getting you ready for each game as we come along to it. But wanted to just get back and talk and talk about a few fun things and say what's up. And I'm really stoked to be here right now.
2: Yeah, there's so many things that we're going to cover, especially in the Strickland episode. And as a peel back the curtain item, For those of you that like to read between the lines, which if you're listeners of the show, I'm guessing most of you do, that's kind of what we do is right. Peel back the onion. It to me is, is something that Scott Strickland has been in a holding pattern waiting to do the show. Uh, He's good to do it any time, but the discussion that him and I had was let's do it at the best time. And his idea was let's wait until things are more concrete, Right. And so the selection now, just a couple of days ago, of doing the podcast a couple of weeks from today, today's the end of August, tells you a lot about what these next two weeks may hold for college football in general, which we're going to discuss, and the reason why Scott wants to wait until then. Obviously, doing a podcast with Scott where most of the things he can answer are totally speculation is not very helpful, so we want to bring you Scott Strickland and our conversation when things are more or less cemented. And that's why we've been waiting. It's not just to put it off. It's because we think the best value for you as listeners is to have that conversation at the right time. And that's definitely going to happen. So this summer, we certainly hope that all of you have been able to remain as safe as possible. Uh, have been able to at least enjoy time with your families, time with your friends, have been able to remain employed, uh, even have new employment. Whatever the case may be in your lives, uh, we're thankful that you're spending time with us today. And we certainly wish all of you uh, you know, well. Something that blew both Alan and I away was what went on this summer with our patrons. And if you want to support this show, if you like our content, of course, drop us a like on Facebook. Uh, You can message us anytime. You can email us. You can find us on any social media platform. And you can support us again financially with a dono on Patreon by becoming a patron. And we have a lot of patrons, and we're very thankful for each and every one of you guys. We announce you. We'll announce you again this season. But... We didn't do a show for three months, and yet, Alan, I'm sitting here looking at a list of 12 or so people that not only contributed to the show, but were writing messages to us, were positive, were encouraging us, were missing our content, and, and I can't thank, again, all of you guys enough for that. So without further ado, some new patrons. We Let's have go, new people. Tyler Pierce, uh, back in as a small dono, Ryan Gallant, and Sidney Singleton, all coming in at the small dono Welcome. level. And we have a variety of dono levels, by the way. Again, if you're new to the show, you you'll get used to this. It's like you're ordering at your favorite restaurant. Uh, medium donos, we have we have Jesse Lucio, Ben Mixon. A couple of upgrades here, Alan. Uh, Matthew Fry going small to medium. And then we have uh, Rob Monda going from small to medium. Thank you, guys. Appreciate that. Yeah, let's go. Large dono with Abraham Hamza or Hamza. Again, we do our best to get the names right here, by the way. If we're wrong, write me a message, please. A cool name regardless. Coming in large. And then a Trask Dono. So for $11 a month, you can jump into the Trask Dono level, which of course is my favorite Dono level. We have Tyler Barnett coming in. Had a good conversation with you, Tyler. Thanks for the support. And then we had three hundo bombs. Three hundo bombs. Getting cray. Which is amazing, right? And so we had uh, Frank Marsalisi and then Mike Wechter. And Frank emailed back and forth with me and, and really wanted me to announce this, which is the Marcelisi Law Firm, where law gets personal. So there you go. It gets if you need, personal If you need legal there, services, talk to Frank.
1: Hey, if you want to know where the law gets personal, that's where it happens. That's where it
2: happens, right? And then Nicholas Isaac came out with a hundo bomb. Had a great conversation Yo. with him, too, as well. Uh, appreciate that, guys. As always, support just immense. Sitting on the throne still, king of the king of the jungle is Alexander Leventhal. He's been hanging out all summer doing whatever it is he's been doing. Uh, but he's still yeah. Sitting. You know, I
1: see the feather building all the time, and Gainesville is looking great.
2: It is looking great. Yeah, he's got a lot of a lot of busy things to take care of. I have received Alexander quite a few emails though that people plan on challenging you in the near future. Whoa. I have gotten those messages. I will be coming for him when the time is right. Uh, messages I've gotten. We always post our Hall of Dono Legends. Those who give three hundred dollars more in total support or a hundo bomb get in this. You'll be in this forever. You're listed right on the front page of our podcast we have some new members of course we have the ones we just read out and then we also have tim kane who's reached lifetime support uh, of that of that level so welcome again thanks guys thanks so much for all your support we really really appreciate it it uh, it just warms you know both alan and i to know that people care about what we're doing here at the podcast and of course we exist for all of you i can assure you that we would not be doing this podcast if we did not have people that wanted to hear it. So yeah. I thanks. just go over to your
1: house. We'll be you know, well, we, we would just convert yes. Yeah.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much guys. Seriously. Can't say it enough. And again, if you like the pod, you can contact us at any time. We're very responsive. We love to hear from all of you. Also don't be shy. Jim, all right, Alan,
1: James is great at that. I'll just say props to James for staying in contact. Well, he's the man with that. Okay. okay. So I titled this first segment summer of chaos because it was wild in college football. While nothing was happening, everything was happening I know that I went back and forth felt like every day people would ask me do you think college football is going to happen and depending on whether you caught me on a Monday or a Wednesday I might say yeah I think it will or no I don't think it will fuck I was a roller coaster of emotions here kind of crazy eventually you guys know what happened three of the power five conferences I guess are continuing to go We're moving forward. We already had a college football game. We watched Austin P play last weekend. If you were desperate enough for some college football, I know I watched a little. And then we had the Big Ten and Pac-12 postpone slash cancel their season, hopefully aiming for the spring for them. Maybe, maybe not. Pretty wild. So James, what was your impressions of all of that?
2: How were you feeling in the middle of all of that? In a normal year those announcements would have been beyond comprehension in the year 2020 (laughs) where you can find your favorite gif or meme which is my favorite one is the is the dumpster fire like rolling down the street yeah with like in in a flood it's like the just the cataclysmic what's worse right it just became par for the course you're like of course this is what's happening right now surprising not surprising we'll get into that but it was a reality that was not entirely unexpected, right? Especially given that with professional athletes, you have people under contract, you have money at stake. Uh, you have this idea that they are adults and that college students are not, which in and of itself is a very interesting concept, Alan. You can sign to go fight in a war right now and die for your country. But if you're a football player, you're an infantile child. So that, that part's interesting. But regardless, the optics were different. The Big Ten, I think, thought that they were being a thought leader. If you had this podcast at different times in certain areas of the country, they would have been that. They might still be that when the dust settles. We don't know, but certainly the narrative, even from when this got released to today is much different. You have Paul Feinbaum coming on and saying the Big Ten is the laughingstock of college football right now. You have Big Ten families and parents and schools sort of revolting and wanting to play. Uh, And with each passing week, Let's assume these these conferences, the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12, successfully play a season. This is going to be a, a landscape-altering year for college football on so many levels. But in and of itself, the announcement was, of course, really surprising. But what was most surprising to me, Alan, was there was that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday period when either all of the dominoes were going to fall and football was done or the ACC and the SEC and the Big 12 are going to dig in. Right. And they dug in, and it was like a Western of sorts, where the ACC comes out the same day the Big Ten releases that and says, here's our schedule, we're playing. And it was a bizarro world. I mean, you've never seen this kind of disunity amongst these Power Five conferences. Uh, just really, really wild stuff.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, just with the Big Ten itself, you know, they announced the schedule. I think it was five, six days later, they announced the cancellation. I think for a lot of people, is like what happened in the intervening days, or why couldn't you hit pause, move to a schedule similar to what the SEC was doing? You had already built in a lot of flexibility in your schedule. I think regardless of whether you agree with the decision or not, or whether they end up being right, or you know, there's lots of factors. I think the way they handled it was kind of a PR nightmare for them ultimately, and you know, it remains to be seen. Like we, we've already had college football. So we can say that recording this podcast. College football has happened this season. Whether we get any more of it, it still remains to be seen. But it feels like the other three Power 5 conferences position themselves to make a choice about playing or not playing.
2: And giving themselves the most flexibility and the most time to make that choice. Yeah, for sure. And so, so what happened, right? What happened in the Big Ten's case? Well, if you're an athletic director in the Big Ten, your job is to direct athletics. And, of course, we'll talk with Scott about this. So their job was to put a schedule together to put a plan in place to make football happen. They did that. Then they put it in front of their presidents, whose job it is to decide what to do, and the president shot it down. And that's why there was this huge disconnect of a schedule release followed by a shutdown, Right. The ADs in the Big Ten now have nothing to do but swallow their pride and go with the company line. They can't come out and start saying, Hey, wait a minute, we wanted to play. And you've heard pretty much none of them, minus Nebraska, a little come bit out from Ohio State, say this. But, and Ohio State's a little frustrated, right? But they, they, they can't this is like political suicide. You can't all of a sudden start smashing your president and throw him under the bus and because that's a bad look. And yeah. so you have all these very political ramifications going on. But that is what, in fact, happened. And, of course, in the South, where presidents are going to face a much different pressure based upon the culture that you have. Same thing with Texas, Oklahoma. You have presidents that may or may not feel the same way as the Big Ten presidents do or the Pac-12 presidents do, but they culturally don't want to go against their constituents, so to speak. So it's a very, unfortunately, political environment between ADs and and presidents. And of course, we're going to talk to Scott about that. He'll have a much more interesting perspective. But that is the reality of being an AD. They do not have all the power. No, we often forget that the presidents of the schools can pull the plug anytime they want. And that was a prime example of what happened in the Big Ten. And now, of course, they're going to wade through whether or not that's wise. Like we said, only time will tell. Uh, it's you know impossible to know with all of the changing factors that, that are occurring every single day in this country, across the world, you know, and and just in general.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously there's, you know, we're talking about this through the lens of college football. Obviously there's a lot going on with the pandemic with, you know, riots and unrest and things like that. Um, That's not really our space to talk about that, but obviously there's a lot going on. Uh, It was fascinating, you know, with the PAC 12, I mean, they announced their intentions like almost immediately after the big 10. And we know those conferences are kind of tied at the hip through the Rose Bowl and they're going to follow one another most likely, um, but you haven't seen the same like aggressive reaction out west as you've seen amongst the Big Ten schools. And I think that just shows a little bit of where they're at culturally that and we say it means more in the SEC. That's kind of the their ad campaign. Uh I think it does. I mean, it just for better or for worse, there's just a different culture around college football in the West than there is in the Midwest and the South. So uh I think you've seen that play out through the fans, the parents, some of the athletic directors' reactions to the Big Ten's decision. Well,
2: let's talk about how this affects the future for these conferences. This, to me, is the most interesting discussion. So I said on the opener of the show, if you're new to the show, analytics, you know things like game theory, discussing decisions, this is what we do best. So the decision has now been made. They're moving forward with it. Now let's analyze it. There are a ton of things here to look at, Alan, what strikes you maybe as the the couple of most important things that are going to be altered due to this decision?
1: Man, they're almost limitless. But the fact that we get college football almost out of whack with if those two conferences do play in the spring, that creates all kinds of weirdness moving forward. Not to mention the championship for this season, but the championship for the next season. Does that season have to get altered? Uh, how does this affect recruiting and official visits? All of the, When you get to the minutia of it, it really gets complicated. I'm glad I'm not the one to have to sort that kind of stuff out. But I think it really throws college football off kilter. I mean, I guess you could look at relative advantages of playing, not playing. You know, if you're not playing, is that just a terrible look for you? But hey, I guess you can spend every week recruiting because you're not having to prep for your next opponent. Ultimately, if you end up being right about this, is that a bigger PR win for you than if you the programs if they never ended up playing in the first place? So I don't want to totally land on one side of the other because I think there's too many things up in the air. But if this split season ends up happening, I think we're going to be talking about kind of
2: the repercussions and the ripple effects from this for years. I mean, there's no doubt. I, I had a conversation with, with Danny uh, Warfel, you know, fan of the podcast, what friend, of the, friend of the program, quarterback of my professional flag football team, all those things. And he asked me, what are the percentage odds do you think of college football in the NFL happening? And this was three weeks ago. This is early August. And I said, well, I think it's probably 70%, 75% for college football and 85 90 for the NFL. And he was, like, blown away, thinking, well, that's way high for college. And I said, well, I didn't say all the conferences or colleges are going to play but the SEC is going to die on the hill trying to play. Uh, the ACC has surprised me, and the Big 12 has not. I figured those two, SEC, Big 12, would, would die on the hill.
1: Yeah, ACC has been like the front runner. They're the like ACC has
2: potentially, in my opinion, Alan, been the most important conference for schools like Vanderbilt and Florida to continue on. It's true. Why? Because you have very prestigious institutions. Virginia, North Carolina, Duke. Those are very, very good schools. Very well thought of. And when Duke comes out and is somewhat leading the charge for playing, it gives you a lot of cover True. if you're a school like Florida. You don't want to be the only elite institution out there playing, and no offense to the Big 12, but they just don't have the same caliber of schools. Overall, they have some great schools. You can say offense to the Big 12 if you wanted to go. They have some some great schools, but overall it's not where the ACC is, and, and the SEC has a couple that are really top level, and that factors in. So... With all that being said, the immediate effects I think of one, if Danny were to ask me what are the odds that the Big Ten and the Big Ten and the Pac twelve are gonna play in the spring, I would say like less than ten percent. Feels unlikely. I think that's a mirage. I don't even think that's real for so many reasons. One, you have a major scheduling problem. The NFL is not going to change its combine dates, its draft date, and everything else. It's not gonna change it. It's not gonna do it, especially not for two conferences. So you got a real problem. How many games can you play? How many weeks do you have? How many people are opting out? Right. Who's not going to play because now they're two months away from the NFL. So you got to start, you know, Ryan Day proposed like a January 1 start date. That's not happening. Two, it totally messes up all of your spring practice and everything else. When do your new guys come in? Can they play or not play? How does that work? Right. Now, forget those decisions being made. You are now off the schedule for the upcoming season. Now, could you get around this? Sure. But here's what's most important, Alan. The domino that fell that put the stake to me in the spring being not a real thing was when the college football playoff system said, we are still going to have a playoff. We are still going to crown a champion. That's true. And that was the nail in the coffin because I'm going to tell you something right now. While a coach could try to convince his players to play because they need reps and practice and experience convincing them to do so when there is not a single thing at the end of the tunnel is not going to happen. No national championship, no playoff. At this point in time, sure, you can crown a conference champion, but even then there would be this huge asterisk next to it, right? So I think the momentum for this, I imagine, is going to not occur. But most importantly, I'm just going to put this out there as an amateur COVID researcher. COVID is not going to be gone in December or January. And even if we had discovered a vaccine, it's not going to be 100%. So, they would still have to accept risks they haven't accepted right now. And on top of that, it would totally mess up all of their future 2021 plans. So, lastly, what does the NCAA do to get ahead of this? They say, hey, no problem. Eligibility gets passed on the next year. Now, all this has done to me, at Helen, is create maybe the greatest opportunity in the midst of chaos and disaster for these three conferences the Big 12, the ACC, and the SEC. You're playing football, you're sitting and delivering with the recruit. And you're saying, look, you don't know if California is going to play football ever again. That's what they're going to say, right? Some big hyperbolic statement. Because right now, the governor is saying we're not going to have pro sports or any sport in California for at least a year, maybe two or three or four or never. Who knows, right? They're going to say that. They're going to use that. And on top of that, you don't know if the Big Ten is going to play at all. They already canceled a season. We didn't. We're playing. We're here. We're your best shot to the NFL. The NFL is not stopping. They're playing. We're here. Right now, again, all these things could change with new COVID news or other things, but that's what's happening right now. So you have this really interesting shift. And on top of that, imagine this scenario, Alan. These three conferences play. Somebody wins a national championship. And next year, every single player on all of those rosters, it's like the season did not happen eligibility-wise. Kind of crazy. That's the craziest thing I have ever heard in college sports. You cannot even imagine what that would do, especially for teams like Florida, That are not like Alabama or Georgia, where they're a factory turning out so many guys every single year. We actually have some depth guys that might stay in play. That's a shape-shifting move. And it puts those schools, especially Ohio State, at a major disadvantage on so many levels, which is why right now you have got to imagine, Allen, the ADs of those conferences, especially the Big Ten, have got to be behind closed doors just Not in a good place. Yeah, and Ohio
1: State's really the big loser in all this because I think they were the one team in either of those conferences, maybe you could discuss Oregon in this mix, who had a chance to win a national championship. And this seemed like a year that they things were peaking for them. They were loading up in the right way. You know Ryan Day said some stuff, and you know, again, you can take a coach word on this, but like kind of a dream season for them, a dream team type of stuff where everything was breaking the right way roster-wise. And now they're presumably not going to be playing. And the optics on this are just strange because you'll have states where high school and NFL is playing, and some colleges are playing, and some colleges are not playing. And when you start looking from that perspective, it gets really wonky. And again, we could see, we could come back in two weeks and be like, yeah, I guess nobody else is playing. It's, you know, that was into that conversation. But from August 31st, it's a strange view into the college football season with those conferences gone.
2: Yeah, very strange. And it opens up the door for for more. And Alan, you mentioned this early on, right? All these years, conferences have said, we can't do that. Well, there's restrictions. We can't yeah. change this. We can't can't make that happen. It's baked in. And then all these things happen. They've unraveled and
1: changed so many rules like on the not on a whim, but turned on a dime and said, yes, we'll do this. We'll cancel these games. We'll form these games like, yeah, we can't change the scheduling because it's locked in until the year twenty one thousand eighty four. It's like, no, they just changed it. They canceled the games. They scheduled some other games. They changed eligibility rules when they're motivated. They can change almost anything. And I think that's been the eye opener for me in terms of college football's future.
2: And when you love a show like we do, Alan, you and I more so the most survivor, you You better believe that Nebraska is sitting on their own little survivor island saying, I don't like being affiliated with a conference that makes me do something I don't want to do. Are there other options? They they were openly
1: exploring them. More
2: now than ever. Keep your eye on that. Because for a long time, guys like Pat Forty, for 20 years, Pat Forty has been writing about super conferences. At some point in time, you're going to pull out all the best and you're going to get an NFL like college product. It's going to happen. Well, the doors have been opening for that more and more and more. uh, And that's something now that is not so crazy. And again, my own personal philosophy in life is very simple when it comes to these decisions. I believe very strongly in individual choice and individual responsibility and conferences. And the reason you put a conference together, the reason you have a United States is there's benefits to organizing yourself in a group. But if you perceive the group to be acting against your own personal interests, there is conflict. And maybe this season just goes by and life goes on as no problem. Or maybe that conflict leads to change where you see other like-minded individuals get together and say, hey, I'd rather be associated with someone who's more like this so that I can play football or not or whatever. And again, regardless of where you are on the political spectrum, those things happen on either side. And that's, that's a pro and con of a big organization, and we're watching that happen now. So, again, wild theater in the college football landscape. It's going to be beyond bizarre as we head into the season where you have a top 25 right now that includes everyone. And after the first week, all the schools that aren't playing will get washed out of it. And so you're going to have a, a three conference plus some small guys, top 25. I mean, it's, it's going to be insane. It's going to be bizarre. Yeah, it's going to be like- wild.
1: 10 teams in the SEC in the top 25 or something like that. Um, Okay, so one big topic of conversation over the summer has been about player safety. Lots of people, every time you would load up Twitter or read the comments and article, it's just people kind of going back and forth on this. Uh, I'm going to read a question we got on Facebook from Robbie Hayes because I thought he kind of combined a lot of points here. Uh, in addressing this topic. I'll just read it. He starts off, he says, COVID, COVID, COVID. Can the season realistically be played? Should it even be played? We're already seeing massive outbreaks in MLB, and this thing is not getting contained nationwide whatsoever. I forget when you wrote this, but it was a couple weeks ago. Should we be putting the players and their futures at risk like this? There's so many factors to consider, especially with how many people are on a football team and staff. Statistically, cases are bound to happen, so what does that mean for the team's? That teams with cases stop playing for two weeks. What about other teams they were scheduled to play or have played? The whole thing is bound to unravel eventually. As much as I love football and the Gators, is this really all worth it, or is it just a cash grab by the conferences at a very inappropriate time? There are some very hard questions to me. We need to be looking at here. So well written by him, addressing a lot of questions that people have. Um, this is a nuanced topic, certainly. But James, what do you think about the players participating? Are they being taken advantage of, put in a bad position, thoughts on them being allowed to play?
2: It's a great question, and that's why I'm glad I I teed up earlier as we walked into this, my my personal philosophy. Because, of course, everyone's going to answer these questions informed based upon what they believe, and mine will inform my answer. Once upon a time when I was a grad student at UF, I tutored pro athletes. A couple of famous ones like Ryan Lochte was a guy I tutored, right? And you learn a lot about what's going on with them. And, and one thing with my frustration with the university through years of assisting through my professional life is that a lot of athletes are steered towards degrees that are not going to benefit their future or their life. So they go to college and they get a degree that is just really not, in my opinion, worth getting. You should get something else. And this is a frustrating side effect of major college athletics. In my professional life, I'm what's called a fiduciary. I legally must do what's best for people. I view everything in life that way. What would I do that's best for this person? So with all these things being said, COVID, any disease, is a very complicated situation. It is way too reductive for either side to say they know what's best because we don't. Therefore, each individual should be able to make their choice. And this is where I go on the other side. When I tutored athletes, the first thing I would tell them in the very first class I had was here is how I'm going to operate. One, I'm not your babysitter. Two, I'm not doing any of the work for you. And three, all of you are smart enough to do this work. You're going to do it on your own when it needs to be done. And I'm going to give you minimal help because none of you are going to make it anywhere in life if you don't take responsibility. You're all grown adults. You're all 18, 19, 20, 21. So if I'm a coach, I'm making sure all my players know that you are all grown men and all of you have a choice. And I'm not going to influence you one way or the other. If you want to play, play. If you don't want to play. Don't. Now I recognize there will be abuses in the system. Not everybody will do that. But that is my view. So with that kind of view, can this season be played? Of course it could, because you allow people to make their choices. They make choices of their own free will. If they opt out, you don't harass them, punish them, belittle them. You say, this is great. This is what you want to do. And you also encourage them not to harass, belittle, influence the ones that choose to stay, right? This is a complicated situation. There's not a clear answer. You must allow people to choose. Of course, is this already working in sports sure right germany's played pro soccer england's played pro soccer all the countries overseas are returning to sport entirely you have you know pga tour mlb nhl are there things that are different yes like canceling games right those are things we have to deal with which we're going to talk about in a second but overall alan can this season be played yes should it be played depends on your belief right? That depends on your belief. And again, there's good arguments on either side. I think my sticking point is it's a very complicated situation. If anyone's reducing it down to they know exactly what the right answer is, I think there's good arguments on both sides. I think you have to look at that, right? On one side, you could argue, look, the data suggests that young, healthy athletes have basically not been affected at all across the world, despite millions of cases. The flip side is what if one dies is one too many. And you can go down the path of debating that philosophically, right? For hours. So, here we are. And I think you've appropriately or not surprisingly seen this play out conference to conference, team to team, player to player. But there are real hurdles, Alan. Since we are not moving forward, we can discuss with concrete information. And this is where I think the meat of this question is really good. What does this actually look like? Okay, we're moving forward. This is happening. How do you do it? Because Major League Baseball's canceled a ton of games, which they can very easily reschedule and then replay. How are you going to do that in college football where they've built in a couple of weekends? Right. But what if it's more than that? What do you do if half your team gets tested positive for COVID? That's two weeks of games you're missing. What do you do?
1: Yeah, this gets really complicated. I do want to say give props to universities and conferences for pretty early on saying that they would honor anyone's scholarship who didn't want to play as they move forward. That's 100% the right decision. Um, People are going to have either real health issues or just other things that they're worried about, certain dynamics and within their family might come into play. So I thought that was great. And that removes the like you're basically not giving them a real choice because you can say you can play or not, but if you don't play we're taking away your scholarship, that reduces their agency by a lot. Of course they still have a choice, but you know, you could you could say, well, I have to have somewhere to live, so I need to earn this thing and whatever. So I think once that hurdle was cleared for me, I thought that, you know, you have to let the players have some sort of choice, some sort of say, and probably the biggest part of that is letting them opt in, and if they want to opt in, they can play. Um, Again, I don't want to come down too heavy on either side here, because like you said, it's a nuanced situation, and... We don't have all the answers. And I think that's where some people come from is that we don't have all the answers. We need to wait. And the other side might be we might never have all the answers, so we can't wait indefinitely. Um, and I think those are somewhat reasonable stances to take. Um, I, I don't have a problem with college football being played, especially when you look at high school football and, and pro football. Again, we might look back and say that that was a problem. But from our vantage point currently, I think I feel comfortable with them moving forward. Again, with lots of reservations. Now, like you said, when these if these games start getting canceled, maybe it's just such a hot mess that it was like, man, this was just such a large undertaking. I don't know if they should have done it, um, but we're gonna have to wait and see on that.
2: I think being an entrepreneur, you learn that there's really good ideas that you should attempt to do and try, and you should also pull the plug when they fail. And so I think you said something key there. At this point in time, given all the data that we have, it is not, in my opinion, reckless to attempt to play sports. I think this is also true in normal society. One thing I find to be very interesting, that there are some segments of society where people are quarantined entirely and not coming out, but there's a large group of people that are out living their lives in some way, shape, or form, including most of these college kids. So when we reduce the argument to, well, if the athletes are playing, their risk increases, that to me is not a real-world argument. A real-world argument is, how often are these guys going to interact with other people anyway? If they go back home are they staying in the room wearing a mask 24 7 or are they out hanging out with their friends right you have to get baselines for these things it's too again reductive to make the model that if college athletes aren't playing sports they're at home isolated that may not be true and again you have to factor in real world situations we can't live in a utopian world where we assume if the coach says we're not playing sports everyone goes home and obeys right right that's part of it and then secondarily i think the most important thing is if we get If tomorrow the news changes, the data changes, things get worse, things get bad. If we get into the season, it's not feasible. You have to pull the plug. You should never be so married to something that when the data tells you not to do it, that you should stop doing it. And again, like we said right now, you could fall on either side. Fine. I don't think you could clearly state that you know what's best no matter what opinion you have. It's just it's, it's not that way right now, right? It's very opinionated. It's very difficult to know regardless of where you lean, you'd have to be holding it loosely enough. And that's my big point here. If football is an idol for you, the listener, for the athletic department, for the people in the South or anywhere else, that is a problem, right? If we idolize something above human life or other things, our priorities are way out of line. But the people that want to play football, and I can't speak for all of them, speaking for people as a group as a whole is a foolish thing to do, right? There's individuals, they all have their own opinions, but for myself and for others that want to break this down, there's there's some camps you fall in. One may be I want to play football because I, I believe it signals to people that we can fight through and overcome and I'm that kind of person. And there are plenty of people like that. And others would say, hey, by playing football, you're signaling that you're reckless and that you're dangerous and that you don't care about those people that are around you, right? Both of those opinions can be equally valid. Uh, as far as the cash grab part, that's where I'm going with that. Is this a cash grab? Of course, money is on the line. It's significant on the line. These uh, these athletic departments, many of them would not function without money to support all the other sports that are going to be played. But it goes beyond in places like the South, in places like Texas and Oklahoma. It just goes way beyond a cash grab. It is a part of the culture. It is a part of the way of life. And throughout all of human history, no matter how bad things got, most people wanted to maintain some semblance of things that matter to them. They did not want to give up their cultural identity. And I think that's what you see in the South. Football is the culture. To give that up is a signal of defeat in certain senses. And some people will hold that all the way to an illogical end where you might have some horrific thing ravaging and you're going to keep doing it. That's, that's foolish, right? But as best as I can categorize it, that's what this looks like right now in the South. there's there's for a lot of people this signals that we are going to be okay and we can overcome this and they think they're starting to support that and on the other side it's different but again there are going to be very serious challenges what happens with this season these as, as as Robbie mentions people are going to test positive star players are going to miss games quarterbacks are going to miss things however in life you can overcome things that are in front of you. So assuming we don't have a narrative change and assuming COVID does not become extremely deadly for young, healthy people, then you have a situation where no matter what kind of players you use or lose based upon COVID, you probably can put a team on the field that can play football. Is it what you want as a fan if Kyle Trask and Emery Jones are out and you've got your third stringer in there? No, but that happens some years due to injury too. That's true. Right? And so you have to deal with adversity. It's not perfect. It's not pretty, but all in all, What I want to say on this subject is I am not going to give anyone a definitive answer on whether they should or should not be played. And I'm not going to say if you're on one side, you're wrong. And if you're on the other side, you're right. Because again, too complicated, too chaotic. Nobody knows. All we have are individual decisions. And if they're based upon, I think, intelligent, smart, data-driven thoughts, which I think at this point in time can support either side to a certain degree, you have to just hold it loosely and not start accusing people of doing the wrong thing all the time. That's, that's where I stand on it. So with that, move with caution. Be ready to change if things dictate you must change. Do not be so bullheaded that you will either never play or you will always play because that's foolish.
1: Well said. Let's talk a little bit about some players who are deciding not to play. Um, I'll go ahead and ask us this question. I'll, maybe I'll answer my own question here. So there's players who are sitting out the season either because of certain COVID realities or to prepare for the draft. Um, this is certainly, a, I don't know if it's all that controversial. I don't know if people care that much. But it's, I think, w- something that holds a lot of repercussions potentially down the road for college football. Does this be any of a trend? Do we start seeing more and more juniors do this type of thing, more seniors do this type of thing? Jamar Chase just opted out, um, I think, over the weekend from LSU. they're star receiver who's most likely going to be a top pick in the draft. Uh, this is really interesting. So, James, let me ask you, if you were a star player, would you do this? How do you feel about this reality?
2: Me personally, if I was a star player, I would definitely play with what you know I feel and believe right now. In general, if we're just talking about skill-wise, so let's assume we could guarantee player health and safety, which we can't, but just to kind of give you the theory here, Alan, You need to play against high-level competition and game reps to get better. You have to. When these athletes, I think naively, think they'll just go train for a year and prepare, it's not the same. You need real experience against real opponents that are at your level in real games that matter. You have to have it. That's how you get better. So can you still get drafted and become a good player in the NFL? Of course you can. But if you imagine a world where every single year, X percentage of players do not play a season, and X percentage of players do, and they're equally, equally talented, the ones that do are going to be better. They're going to have a leg up on the others. Now, in a season like this, you might say, hey, um, I'm a Memphis running back, which we saw, right? Tragic story. This poor guy's had four people in his family die of COVID. That's a horrific result. So he decides, hey, I don't want to risk getting it and giving it to anyone that I know in my family. I've already had a, a lot of tragedy. I'm going to sit this season out. And if your reason is on the other side, hey, I'm not worried about COVID at all. I just want to sit out and not get injured and play for the NFL. You can do that. Again, I'm all about this is your choice. It's your individual decision. You do what you want, but you also bear the consequences. Don't don't sit out a year and then blame your coaches, your mom, your dad, your uncle, the media, your agent for why you slip in the draft if you do, right? Don't do that. Take the responsibility upon yourself, no matter what happens. Just own whatever decision that you make and do not cast the blame onto someone else for your own decisions. Other than that, do it. But I think people will be sitting out. I think they will be taking that approach. I think that's going to become something that's more popular as people search for certain ways to do things. And I will say this lastly, Alan, football is a team sport. In a world without COVID, football rewards a lot of what is true in life is that you cannot succeed as a selfish one-man team. You cannot succeed as an island. It takes a team above individuals. And again, a non-COVID world, if you are sitting out a season or half a season, it definitely signals to the NFL that you have some question marks about how much you value your team. And you are putting yourself absolutely first. You are a mercenary. And our professional sport landscape, unfortunately, from my angle, Alan, is becoming very much a mercenary field. I come into the field. You pay me for my services. I don't care if I win. I don't care about my teammates. I don't care about my coach. I don't care about you. You will pay me and I will take care of me and my own. And that is a very tribal regressive mentality. And when I see those things begin to occur more and more, I hope that they go away over time because the protect my family and myself at all cost mentality is not a civilized or good way to live. It is a regressive way to live. It is the way most of the world handled itself for many, many years. It's not ideal. So there are, again, there are cost benefits across the board. Uh, in general, though, it's going to happen. It's another, as we're mentioning with Robbie's question, another reason to say this is going to be something people do. This will also affect what happens with these seasons.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I wonder how many of these guys who are turning pro, um, if their team was going to be majorly in contention, whether they would have stayed in. Seeing, you know, a few guys, there's a guy from TCU, of course, you mentioned Jamar Chase. I wish I had a full list in my head in front of me, but nobody from one of the top contending teams, and you could make an argument at LSU, I think they're reloading too much to be seriously in contention. Plus Jamar Chase just won a national championship last year. Um, That if you were a team on the rise or, you know, you thought you had a real shot here, that you would be less likely to opt out. Now, if I'm a, a top NFL pick and I'm playing in the Big Ten or Pac-12 there's no way I'm playing in the spring right before the draft I mean it's just that's nobody's that's not their fault that's just not a feasible occurrence Um now the reality is most players the vast vast majority of players need an extra season of reps in order to improve their draft position there's some guys and I especially at the running back position or maybe the corner position like maybe you are who you are and you're going to get drafted now doesn't mean you'll perform as well once you get there had you played a year and that is a big thing Uh, so there is some cost to that strategy I don't know I I don't I'm not going to like crush anybody who opts out this year by any means it's a weird year there's weird circumstances but in general my my encouragement to everyone would be to play because I think as you said you're going to get better you're going to improve your stock and there's just the experience of it in general of playing college football you only get a chance to do that once Yeah, Yeah. there's value in that in itself.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. And then, you know, also I'd be remiss if I didn't say in my individual responsibility stump speech that it goes <laughs> it goes both ways, right? When when players say those things in general in other sports, it's largely because they're worried that they've been taken advantage of. And that definitely happens. And again, in my world, individual responsibility on both sides regardless of wealth or power has got to be just in that if a coach is taking advantage of people, and shipping people out of the program, and not honoring their word to them, hey, I gave you a scholarship, you're going to be here, I'm going to yank it from you, I'm going to find a way to play you, gray shirt you, whatever, that should be frowned upon and punished. And if a player is coming in and saying, I'm committed to you, I'm doing these things, and starts going rogue, that should also be punished, right? There has to be an equal level of respect and consequence based upon what people are doing, and the further we get away from that, again, the more tribal in nature it becomes. And then when you lose trust between people, you lose trust between coach and player, things fall apart. That's not good, again, for healthy society. And it always falls both ways. Human nature would dictate that we are not angels, Alan. We are fallen beings. We do bad things. We should be striving to hold each other accountable and also live in a world where it's like, hey, you know what, Alan, I'm sorry I did that. I genuinely mean that. Please forgive me. And you say, you know what, James, I forgive you. Let's move on, right? little philosophy discussion here in the middle of COVID. that's what a lot of philosophy is occurring in college football right now most of these discussions unfortunately are not we want to talk about and again hopefully all of you recognize alan and i are not here to be COVID experts or political experts but we just how do you talk about this without sharing some broad view thoughts and hopefully representing at least both camps to a certain degree of kind of where people are and there's more than two camps on this issue by the way for sure all right with that total hard transition here to something very different which is my bookie. You heard me say that my bookie is, in fact, our title sponsor this year. Pretty awesome. Thanks to you listeners that we've reached a point where we have title sponsors like this. And at my bookie, it's summertime, and that can only mean one thing, which is it's winning season. Winning season means doubling your first deposit, it means free bets, super contests, survivor, not the survivor we like, Alan, but survivor where you pick a team each week to win, and more. At my bookie, winning season is all about your chance to win big. You can bet the NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball, the UFC, college football, and more. The craziest sports summer of your lifetime is here. It's simple. Make your picks, win big, and collect your cash. Invest on your intuition. Probably don't invest from the knowledge that we give you on this show. We make our bets, although Alan was white hot last year. But you can select from hundreds of future bets. You can bet games in real time. Steve Seitz, one of our listeners, enjoys doing that. Uh, With my bookies live betting. You can use the promo code, and this is probably the most important part, Alan Gator Nation, to double your first deposit. Promo code Gator Nation. New players get up to $1,000 in free play. Thousands of cross-sport wagers, props, and parlays await. Sign up now to bet with the best and celebrate your victory. You can begin today at mybookie.ag. Enter the promo code Gator Nation for a 100% deposit match up to $1,000. Thousand dollars. Thank you, my bookie, for the sponsorship. For those of you that like to enjoy sports gambling, do it responsibly. Do not make it your main investment strategy. That is not a good idea. (laughs) Your fiduciary telling you, yes, be responsible. Do not. It's entertainment. Imagine you're going to Dave and Buster's or the arcade as a kid or Chuck E. Cheese. That's the kind of money you do. Do not think that you're going to make a lot of money. Sports gambling. Stop it. Don't do it. Just do it for fun. All right. Let's look at the
1: other big piece of news. The SEC dropped a schedule. Now there's a lot of scuttlebutt about who's gonna play who. Are they favoring Alabama like everyone assumed they would? So let's talk about our two opponents added. Uh one that was correct in the you know kind of first round of speculation Texas A and M, and then the second one Arkansas. Thoughts on those two opponents being added to the Gator schedule.
2: I'm really happy that it's not Alabama and Texas A and M, like I think it may have been And I can't wait to talk with Scott about this. And we're going to talk a lot about with Scott about this, about this subject. But we got the worst of it, if you want to look at it that way. If you're comparing us to the other elite institutions, Alabama, Georgia, LSU, uh, we got a harder opponent in A&M. So we got a harder opponent, but we did not get Alabama, uh, again, which would have been a nightmare scenario for a million different reasons. So... We're a little worse for the wear coming through this. Uh, we did pick up Arkansas, which, which is, is only interesting team. for one main reason Felipe yes, Franks.
1: One Felipe Franks. And they
2: are the worst team. You know, Vanderbilt, Arkansas, right? The two worst teams. But Felipe Franks, the story is not over. We see him yet again. Uh, wild how that happens sometimes in sports. Just kind of bizarre how these things occur. But all in all, I feel fine with it. I'm excited about playing A&M as a fan. Uh, all of you listen to this podcast know that I'm all in favor of more difficult games and scheduling. And in most years, I'd be all in on Bama coming too, especially if we're better. But this is a weird little year for us where we have a little window, and I would like to capitalize in my own selfless interest on that window. So having Bama in the regular season was not advantageous. Uh, but I feel I feel pretty good about it. I'm excited about what it brings. What do you think?
1: Yeah, in terms of the balance, obviously you're taking one – I don't know, premier opponent, but closer to the top opponent and one lower one. So that balances out a little bit. I, I think love Texas A&M being added to schedule. They're a really intriguing opponent for a cross-division rival to be added. Um, Arkansas is whatever. I mean, the Felipe storyline is fascinating. I mean, I feel bad for the guy. You Go to Arkansas. You, If you look at Arkansas' schedule, I mean, most likely they're going 0-10. They play everybody in the West – and Florida and Georgia, I think they're going to get brutalized. Maybe they turn up and are spunky and, you know, win a couple of games, but that is just an incredible slog they're about to go through. Just a gauntlet of opponents. So when that game comes around, of course, for Felipe, the entire storyline is going to be him in Florida, no matter what the records are for either team. And he's going to have to go up against. Kyle Trask and they're going to be compared one to one, and that's not super fair for him compared when you add in the rosters. Um, but I have to say, I hope he does well. I mean, I don't want him to play well against us, but I no ill will towards the guy. I hope he has a great season, in Arkansas, that he doesn't get just demolished playing that schedule. Um, and not, maybe not everyone feels that way, but yeah, that's going to be a really interesting storyline when that comes up because of the attention on those two quarterbacks.
2: Yeah, and, and tough place for him to be mentally. You have an injury, you get beat out by trash, you have to transfer because you recognize that you're not in a good place to be able to compete with him. So you sort of wave the white flag, roll out, very curiously, in my opinion, choose Arkansas, which I think was a mistake. And, you know, if I was counseling him, like I said earlier, I would not have suggested that. And now you have, along with Missouri, probably. Two of the hardest schedules in the history of college football. Each of those schools have that. And I think that's that's true. And you have to also go to Gainesville. It's not like you even get a home game. You have to go back to the swamp. It would be bittersweet, but if you're a twenty-one year old guy, there's a lot of emotional things going on. And to go back to where you lost your spot to face the guy you played against. It's not like, these are my buds and I love them, although you're friendly with them. There's just a lot of mixed emotions to deal with uh, at that age. So I'm sure he wasn't stoked that he was going to play Florida again. Although yeah, he's he, going to say he was. You Behind closed doors, I, I don't think that's what you'd be wishing for. I would not have been if I were him.
1: Yeah, and he didn't make that choice. He didn't go to Arkansas knowing he'd Florida. He got added back in, which is just a weird twist of the
2: knife there. Brutal. All right, so overall thoughts on the flow of this schedule now that we're looking at it. Here, yeah,
1: right? and we're not going to walk through and do like a game-by-game prediction here, but... Looking at it, you know, it doesn't set up terribly for us. Our toughest games are spread out for the most part. We have a bye week our traditional bye week against Georgia. And let me just say the front half of the schedule is much more difficult than the last half. It's somehow you can make it through the Georgia game relatively unscathed, and you follow it up with Arkansas, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, Tennessee, and there's relative strengths to some of those teams. But the beginning is tough. Um a and M and LSU back to back, followed by Missouri, which is at home, so that's nice. We don't have to go to my personal house of horrors there. That's a tough. That's a tough start, and then Georgia there in the middle. Uh, so overall, it doesn't like I don't look at it and go, oh man, that's there's no way a team can navigate that kind of schedule. Um, so very tough, very challenging, but not. Unattainable. Now again, this is a conference only schedule, so you don't have as many of those kind of weeks where you can rest and recuperate. Even a you know, even a team like Missouri or Arkansas is so much better than a team like Eastern Washington that those things aren't comparable. So very, very challenging. I don't expect tons of teams to go undefeated in conference play,
2: but doable. Yeah, the flow is amazing. You don't have two road games in a row. You're at home starting October 17th and then really all the way until November 21st. You travel to Jacksonville, but that's a minor travel. So the middle of your schedule, you don't have a single real road game. Uh, you have that AM LSU, which is going to define our season. Those back-to-back weeks are going amazing. to define our season. There's absolutely no doubt. And of course, the Georgia game is, is going to truly do it. But that's how it's going to flow. So there's great flow. There's great reason to to have everything you want. The Tennessee game, as most of you listeners know, I think will be tough at the end. I think they are getting better. I think their recruiting is almost equal to ours, uh, although it's not quite as high. And if they have a decent season, or they're like last year where they get better, if they get better as the year goes on, that game could mean something. Sure. Uh, a, and even if it doesn't it. mean that they're going to be competing for the East, it could mean something for us. But you have these nice ebbs and flows, Right. So I we're gonna walk through this, of course, you know, win-loss and, and talk about it before the season. But at first blush, I like it. I like the flow a lot. The earlier we get the better teams, the better for reasons we've talked about before, because right. we have the more veteran team. We should be more prepared. We have the best quarterback. So playing AM and LSU in games three and four, it's younger teams, is a win for us. Absolutely. Much better than playing them in games nine or ten. And the Georgia game being one week later is no different. So I think all in all, we picked up an advantage. If, for example, you flipped like Kentucky and A&M, that's less desirable. If you flipped LSU and a and I mean, LSU and Kentucky, less desirable, right? You'd much rather play those better teams, I think, personally, earlier in the season as far as you can control things. So I'm I'm pleased with the schedule, though we did get an incremental increase in toughness with A&M. All in all, you look at it and it is manageable. It's manageable for sure. So yeah, you would think that,
1: would you agree that we maintain the relative advantage we had over other teams going through a lot of transition with this schedule?
2: Yeah, for sure. And I just sort of hinted at that as I kind of kind of walked through it and stole your, stole your thunder there by accident. But I think so. I think that this is an advantage to us. Again, we didn't get the favor. If you look at LSU and Georgia and Alabama's schedule that they got, I mean, they play no one. They basically got the two worst teams on either side to play against. So for them, their schedules did get easier. So do we lose a little bit with Georgia losing their total schedule versus ours? Yeah, for sure, right? Our overall schedule was a joke compared to the other schools, and now we don't have that. So we do lose some, but again, if you looked at we had to get two opponents. Unless they gave us another bottom feeder opponent, the way it flows and the way it works is something that I look at and say, this is a manageable schedule. We can win the East with this schedule if if things you know go according to plan. It's not like, no, we're kind of done now. I don't feel that way at all. So
1: we skipped a schedule in there about the question about the conference only schedule. That's my bad. Why don't you go ahead and grab that one?
2: All right. So when it comes to the conference only scheduling, do you think now that you're looking at this, that we will a go back to an eight game conference schedule in the future or B would you want to? I don't know if we're ever going back
1: and I don't think I want to when you were, I'm so much more excited about this schedule even though there's less games, like the, especially we had terrible non-conference opponents this year: Eastern Washington, South Alabama, and New Mexico State. I, those are good for us to learn about our team. They're good schedule padding games in terms of, you know, rest, preparation, things like that. And of course, I do miss not having FSU on the schedule. I do want to say that very much. So that's a that's a big big loss. But I don't want to go back to three cupcakes, certainly. So whether that's in the future, you know, stuff gets bandied around. Maybe you go to 10 conference games, one out of conference and one like small directional school where you can like, you know, throw a bone to a directional school that needs a payday. I don't hate something like that. At least nine seems preferable. And, you know, for the SEC, if they got away from the current model, you know, we've talked about pods where you're playing two or three teams every year and the rest rotating. I think that's so much better than what we currently have. And we've seen now that they're willing to rip everything up and start again. Why not do that? Let's let's not go back to eight. Let's at least go to nine. And 10 wouldn't be bad either.
2: I would love to keep it at 10. And then you're going to have a cupcake to open the season to get your team ready, unless you have one of those special season openers. And then you'll have an out-of-conference team like an FSU and that's a 12 game slate. And if you go to 13 then take on a Miami or someone else like that, space them out, do it. I am all in favor of this. I will say this to anybody that wants to listen as a fan of sports. I don't want to watch us beat team 65, nothing. I don't care. It doesn't mean anything to me. It's irrelevant. As a coach, you need one of those games. You need one. You have to have one that should stay. It also helps that athletic department. Have other people play sports that are never going to play in the pros. I like that. I support that. You do not need and have never needed three of those games. So I'm all about it. However, Alan, I don't think it's going to stay. And I'll tell you why. These large bureaucratic colleges and universities and systems are very slow to change and turn. So although we have one year like this, and although they may behind closed doors think it's amazing, for them to then tell their brethren of the smaller school land that we're not going to pay you a million dollars to play anymore, we're not gonna do these things, and then these teams have to play harder schedules. I think it's a very difficult pill for them to swallow. And it takes a lot of changing. These schedules have already been made for years in advance, especially against other non conference opponents. There's just a lot that they're gonna look at and think, well, I don't wanna do this. But I hope they do. I want them to. Again, our schedule is not super sexy because we play in the East, and the East is hot garbage compared to how it once was when we were growing up. But if you're a West fan, I'm sorry. If you're a West fan, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened in college football. If you have a good team in the West, it's unbelievable the schedule that you're playing. I mean, you have all the teams in the West. You don't play a single cupcake, and your cupcakes are like Vanderbilt, which is still infinitely better than the cupcakes you would play. Like, Vanderbilt can still put a game up against you. It's awesome. It's how it should be, in my opinion— I love it. I am absolutely stoked about it. And again, I think 9 or 10, you can make those arguments. Really only allow one cupcake and then go for your cross spot. Florida can play a USC or they can play an Oregon or someone else and then always keep your rival. To me, that's perfect scheduling. Add an extra buy-in if you want to to make sure that teams can rest and recuperate if you're worried about that kind of load. But I love it. I love it.
1: Yeah, I think the argument for 9 rather than 10 is that if you're a team like Florida who always plays Florida State – and then you play one by game, then you never play, you'll never play anybody weird. So you give a little more freedom to like, okay, we do want to play Cal or Oregon state or whatever. Those are bad examples, but we want to play Texas. We want to play Oregon, whatever. Um, so that, that also seems like really reasonable to me too. I, I do hear you when you say you're like throwing cold water on me, like, yeah, they, they might not do it moving forward, but at least we've seen that it's a possibility. Um, but yes, the, this is an exciting schedule. I would love to see just even one extra conference game and then like mandating the rest of them to be Power 5 except for one. Oh, and another interesting idea that someone threw out there, I thought this was fascinating. Um, if you do want to play like an FCS school, just make it an exhibition and play it in the spring. So instead of your spring game, Intra Squad... If you really want to like get that in there, and that's important to the culture of college football, play it in the spring. It's essentially like a scrimmage where they're getting paid to play. You can have the fans in there. People would love it.
2: Sure. And that exists already in high school, yeah. right? They play jamborees. It's an that's exhibition. A, that's, exactly that's what it what is, is
1: anyway. Do. No team is ever going to lose that anyway. So go for it.
2: Well, Florida State may lose their they FCS might. game. You they never might. know. But either way, I'm totally with you. All right. If the season gets played as currently constructed, Alan, would you consider the national champion, a legitimate national champion, or are you putting an asterisk next to their name?
1: Yes and no. Of, of course, there It almost has to be an asterisk. Asterisk is maybe the wrong word. I think we just will always know that this happened during COVID and just go, yeah, that was super weird. But there's lots of really weird years for weird things happening, maybe not on this level. But I would think if we have a college football playoff, and you have a 14 playoff, the winner of that I think is absolutely deserving to be called a champion, especially in college football, which you know UCF ch- claims a champion, you chip, you know, the bar is pretty low. Uh, really, like I said, Ohio State, from at least this point of view, was the only team that seemed poised to break into that. And so, you know what, if they decide to sit it out, they decide to sit it out. It doesn't mean they were gonna be ready. They could have injuries, they could lose a couple of games, You know. They're not like a perfect juggernaut. So, yes, I would consider the champion legitimate.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, they're definitely legitimate, and I would also consider there to be an asterisk. And really, there's only one reason why, and it's Ohio State. Ohio State is a loaded football team this year, and anybody who wins would have had to have probably played against Ohio State. So I'm not going to take anything away from anyone who wins. It's deserving, you get your championship and it's going to go in the record book. and I would keep it there. But like you said, you'd forever look back at 2020 and say they were real champions. they beat everybody that was there. But there was one team that did not get a chance to play. And in other years, you may say it didn't even matter, right? Most years you can look and you kind of know these two or three schools can win. and, and certainly this year, Ohio State's one of them, they weren't gonna just win it, right? Alabama, Clemson, others could have a say. We could have a say potentially. Uh, But either way, yeah, you win, you get the trophy, you go down that way, you're going to celebrate it forever and it's going to count. And also, I think you kind of know, hey, we missed a chance to play against some other people. We didn't get to measure ourselves against everyone, but it wasn't our fault. And we took care of everything we could in front of us. And as you mentioned, Alan, this is not all that different from when schools win championships and the best player or two gets hurt in the middle of the playoffs and you do not face their best team. You still get the trophy and everybody remembers you but you did not pull, you did not face the best team at their best. So you have to kind of look at it that way. Every season has adversity. Every season deals with things that are not ideal. This one's more so, but it will be, as you said, for sure. Another sponsor that we have, backed by Popular Demand, Welcome and back. one that I know will make so many of you happy because I've gotten the most text ever about reading these as live reads. And I, I PG these things. For those of you listeners that don't know, we actually have an entire... Um, elementary and then now middle school class in Texas, Austin, Texas, that are huge fans of the show. What's up, guys? And yeah, we love you guys, by the way. Uh, they're they're excellent. They write great emails to their teacher. We get all these great pieces of nuggets from them. They're, they're Gator fans in Austin, Texas, but we can't be going on reading things in more than PG detail. So what do we have here? We have we have Manscaped yet again. And if you're not familiar with Manscaped, it is a, as they describe themselves, uh, it's the best in men's below the waist grooming. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about it in in tones like that. They have all these catchy phrases. You can go on their website. And you can see them uh, that are a little more aggressive. But Manscaped is sponsoring us, the Gator Nature of well podcast, and we are stoked about that. And they offer precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. So you can take care of them. Uh, they obsess over their technological developments, and they provide you essentially the best tools for their grooming experience. They have sent us as they do every year this incredibly swaggy box of all of their products they have colognes and boxers and all sorts of other fun named products Uh, but essentially what they're really wanting to tell you about is their electric trimmer called the lawnmower 3.0 the third edition alan uh 18 months perfecting it they're calling it the greatest trimmer that they have ever created it is in fact very nice it's really like a sideburn or you know like a like a smaller clipper version Except it's safer, which is what you want. It's also waterproof and has a long-lasting chargeable battery. Pretty much does everything that you need. You can get 20% off all the products at manscapes.com using the code GOGATORS20. That's 20% off GOGATORS20. All right, Alan, let's make a hard switch from Manscaped to recruiting. We've gotten a lot of scuttlebutt on recruiting. At one point in time, it was very, very low. In the past couple of weeks, the emotional roller coaster switched back up to quite high. People are all over the place. Because it was like the world's falling. We're not getting anyone. Then we got a bunch of guys. All right. So before we kind of walk through the hard numbers, which I like to do, what are your overall feelings right now about recruiting? Essentially, are you disappointed? Are you content? Like, where are you right now with a 2021 class? I'm certainly
1: not disappointed. Uh, th- I would say take all of your expectations about what this is gonna look like and who's gonna finish where and the relative ratings of players and hold that extremely loosely. So a lot of these rating systems are based on, you know, performances at camps that may or may not be happening, player movement their senior year, who's getting offered where, and who knows right now. I think this is gonna be the best biggest like storyline in the next couple of years in terms of recruiting is this season. You're gonna have guys at power five schools who you're gonna see like getting processed out because they're just not good enough. And there's gonna be guys, way more guys I think from the lower levels who are stars who might transfer up. Because you're gonna miss on some of these guys who break out in their senior year. And that's just gonna be a reality. And ultimately those guys I think will make it through but it's gonna be crazy. So whatever class you think you have when you finish this is not going to be the class you address it as two years later. It almost can't be. So uh, certainly the top guys are going to be relatively, you know, maybe like up there because of just their sheer athletic abilities. But if you're a college football coach and you are a prized evaluator, you have a huge advantage if you're able to project better than your peers because People are gonna have less data, and if you're a better evaluator, then you're gonna have a huge advantage. So, guys like the UF coaching staff might pull more of these guys than some of their you know counterparts who are less adept at looking at the nuance of things or projecting forward. So, I just would say all that. If you're freaking out, don't because who knows?
2: I'm not disappointed. But that's because my expectations are now firmly set for where Dan Mullen's going to recruit. So I talk a lot about the three-year test, which we're going to talk about on the Strickland episode. How does this season affect Dan Mullen's three-year test when it comes to performance on the field? This also has to do with recruiting. You get to a point to where you know how a coach is going to recruit. We talked about last season that, that Dan had an incremental increase in recruiting every single year. So he has progressed. The trend line is slow. We have a tier system. I like this tier system. I created it to help myself and hopefully you kind of better separate these classes aside from just the number ranking one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine on a two, four, seven composite. Very simply, as a refresher, if you're a tier one recruiting school, you basically have two or more players that are top 30, six or more that are top 100, 13 or more that are top 300, and then tier two, one top 30, four or more top 100. 11 or more top 300. We snuck into tier two at the end of the recruiting cycle in 2021. 2020. 2020. Sorry, we finished eighth overall, sixth in the SEC. We had 25 total commits, Alan. We had one top 30, four top 100, 13 top 300, and 17 four stars. So 2021, where are we? Basically, exactly in the same spot. We're seventh nationally, fourth in the SEC, And the reason we're fourth is some of these other SEC schools do not have as many commits as we do yet, so they will potentially pass us. We have one elite player right there at the 30th level. We have four in the top 100, one of whom is a JUCO, who is Dewan Black, who was originally a commitment a couple years ago, who is maintained and is coming back with us. 12 top 300 and 13 four-stars. So essentially, close your eyes, that's basically the same class. In the year before that, 2019, basically it was the same class. So what is this telling you? If you are hoping that Dan Mullen is going to become a tier one recruiter, that's not going to happen. There's enough data to tell you that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not going to be there. Coaches rarely change their stripes. Now, could he keep getting better? Yes. Could he occasionally get a tier one class? Yes. Is he going to consistently be Ryan Day, Urban Meyer, Nick Saban? No. No. And you have to learn to live with that. Now, the question that I raised on the very first podcast we did after Dan Mullen got hired, Alan, was this. Can Dan Mullen recruit at a high enough level to win the SEC? And in my opinion, you need to be having a tier one class once every three or four years to do it. And then you're going to have to also have luck where you don't have injuries. So so far, it has not happened yet, which is why I made my famous bet that, hey, I bet my friends a thousand dollars that Dan one's not going to win the SEC championship, not because I don't think he's a good coach, but because he's not going to have talent.
1: What would your fiduciary say about that kind of wager, James? I don't know.
2: I, I put a lot of conviction behind it. Here I am, you know, and they're still listening to this podcast. So they're there. But, you know, that to me is how how I'm saying that not to say, oh, look at me. I put myself out there. What a, what a great bet. But that's how strongly I believe in needing to have tier one recruiting. That's the point of the bet. Not to say I doubt Dan or others, but that we have got to have that. So here we are. We still don't have it. So every time on this podcast you hear me give season projections, uh, just factor in that that's going to influence my decision making. And this season will be interesting because all of the stars have aligned for us to be able to make a run, which can happen if you're a Tier 2 recruiter. So why am I saying all of this? I'm saying all of this to say if you're someone who's living and dying with recruiting every single day, don't. Expect him to be a solid tier two recruiter, an excellent player development guy, and hopefully a quarterback guru. And with that, you're going to get a lot of winning seasons. And maybe once every four or five, you build the right kind of team and you win a title. Now, if you want to project this much more positively, you go Dabo Sweeney, you build a team, you win a title, you start recruiting like a madman and you crush it. That is a possibility for Dan Mullen I just don't think Dan Mullen and Dabo Sweeney are the same kind of guy. Right. I and, don't see that going down that path.
1: And, you know, I, I do look like to look at the bottom of the roster players in terms of who we take in a particular class. And even someone was pointing this out. You look at our, our three lowest-rated players from last class, Ethan White, Trent Whittemore, and Jamarcus Weston. We already saw something from Ethan White and those other two guys the way people talk about them is they're gonna have an impact at wide receiver this year. So if you're getting, you know, starter level slash um, great rotational player output from the bottom of those recruiting rankings, that starts to shore up a lot of your baseline. It raises your floor in some of those classes. It would show that you are a talent evaluator that goes beyond just what the stars would indicate Again, like, you know, we've gone round and round. Obviously, if you're taking higher rated players over the long haul, that's going to play out for you. Um, it is a different route. It's a it's a tighter rope to walk. But if you can do it through player development and tier two recruiting, I think there is a path forward there. And like you said, it does seem like this is where Dan Mullen said, again, a championship at Florida through him, I think might change things. So if you can level up one time to win, you might just change your stars there. And again, yes, I would not freak out about COVID at all right now. There's also no one's taking official visits. So if that happens at some point, there's these guys committing who are not taking official visits right now. How committed are you to a place you've never been before? So we might see a ton of shuffling in December, January, if those remain the same dates for recruiting, so again, I this year almost has to get thrown out in the data in terms of like if you're gonna look at a overall trend line because it, I don't know up or down whether it's gonna would hold for you either way.
2: Well, and to put a bow on this, I, I I do think that Dan has raised his floor even higher. And right, I categorized Dan Mullen as a high floor, low ceiling coach. So he's got a very narrow range, but fully expected him, again, podcast one, to win at least nine games a year. That was the expectation. The guy's going to win football games. The question is, does he get to championship numbers to win? Does he win an SEC title? Can he win the 12th and 13th game? And that remains to be seen. uh, But I think his recruiting, if it's telling a story, it's telling you that he just continues to raise the floor level. It's far less likely that Florida's ever going to have a season where we win you know, below eight games. Right. And that's good. That's productive. And then he also does a very good job developing players. And I've heard those arguments. I'm not, I'm not knocking that right? Certainly. when we talk about the high end, but bottom line is data's data is data. Do you want to win titles? You've got to have top 100 guys. You have to have them. They're essential. Urban Meyer was never more right than when he said that getting elite players is eventually what wins a title on the, the top
1: field. 1% of the 1%. And he's
2: right. He's not wrong about that. And that's a that's a good philosophy. And, and again, Ryan Day is an absolute machine right now on the recruiting trail. So you can do it soon. You can do it early. Dan has his struggles here. But again, as best I can tell you, as someone who believes in it very strongly, you'll do yourself a favor if you relax and expect where he's at and hope, continue to hope that it can get to tier one. But if you're expecting it, you're going to drive yourself insane every single year, it's not true. pulling in as many five stars as other schools are. That's just not, probably the way it's going to go at least right now yeah okay let's pick some games we actually have
1: some games coming up this weekend this next week in slate is not the best uh but there is some fun stuff and then the week after that we'll go ahead and pick some of those too because we won't record in the meantime so there's some places we have lines i think most of these we have lines on uh james let's let the games begin all right first this is happening on Thursday night, September 3rd. This is coming up. Arkansas State versus Memphis. Mike Norvell's moved on. Ryan Silverfield's the new coach there. Memphis is favored by 19.
2: This is interesting. I don't know anything about Arkansas State. The Red Wolves? Come on. I know and you're a big fan. I know, right? And Memphis is now missing their best player. I don't know how hard it must be to, and I'm, I'm imagining it's very hard, right? Having done some coaching myself, but I can't imagine how hard it is to transition a program over. Thankfully, this was an internal hire. So, you know, he was, was the O-line coach, was the deputy, they called him the deputy head coach, whatever that means. So he has experience. It was less of a turnover than before. Therefore, I like Memphis to cover the points because there's not a huge, I feel like, transition here. I'm gonna go the other way. Give me the Red Wolves. I love it for no reason. Just you're feeling it. I like it. Nineteen's too high.
1: Well, it's too high early on in the season. Chaos, and like you said, they are transitioning. They're gonna be missing their star. I'll take Arkansas State. Okay, that Saturday, BYU versus Navy. Navy favored by one. The midshipmen.
2: That's great. BYU has been all over the place trying to schedule football games. They've sort of been the, the team that's out venturing, trying to play football, and yeah, they're I, playing some football. I
1: think Navy might be playing all home games this year or something. Like I mean, this, yeah,
2: this, this is going to be really an excellent Monday night, excellent football game for a lot of reasons. Very intriguing. Two games that play really good brands of football. I don't know what to expect here. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go... I'm going to go with BYU. I had fun picking them last year. They're feisty. I like the way they play. I'm going to go with BYU.
1: I will say I have limited my prep work on the season because I didn't want to do a ton of stuff and then be just even more disappointed if college football didn't happen. So all that is coming up for me. So, of course, I know nothing about the relative states of BYU and Navy without having seen them play. But give me the midshipmen. All right skipping to the next week so this is the next Thursday wanted to include this one UAB the Blazers visiting Miami favored by 16
2: UAB not I mean I I just think about this game I think of Miami like where are they their recruiting's kind of bumping up some but they've been they've been a hot mess missing and, their best player Russo opted out yeah and 16 like at first blush 16 seems too low to me I mean, UAB did not have a football program. Yeah, but they're feisty. Right? I mean, there there's no football. Uh, six, Miami can't win by more than 16. I'm probably being foolish here, and I also grew up right near the campus. They're in Coral Gables of Miami, so clearly I have to pick Miami here with more than 16. I mean, again, UAB didn't have a football program. They, yeah, but they on.
1: came back the next year. They were they were tough, although I am going to go with Miami here as well. I that's that line is low enough. I think that Miami will cover it. Okay, the number one team currently, Clemson, favored by thirty-two at Wake Forest. We have a real life conference game with the number one team in the nation.
2: Trevor Lawrence has been like the president of college football. Yeah. Organizing Respect people, for him, organizing yeah. Twitter feeds, discussing social issues, discussing football issues. He started off very poorly last season very, very poorly and finished on an absolute tear, numbers-wise. I do not expect him to start slowly this season. Hmm. I think he knows what's expected of him. I think he's taking the next step. I think you see him being a leader in other aspects. I expect Clemson to come out and cover this spread in Game 1. I think they're on a mission. I think they're going to be very thankful to play. I think this will feel different for them than a typical... Game one against the Wake Forest team would be. So you've got no respect for the Demon Deacons. I have no respect for the Demon Deacons. I don't either. Give me Clemson. No, I.
1: This is an interesting number. I mean, I could definitely see Wake Forest covering. Who? Gosh, I would never bet this line in a million years because I've, this is going to be the first game of the season for them. What are they going to look like? What are players thinking? Um But yeah, I'll go Clemson here. Okay, Duke. In a conference game at Notre Dame, Notre Dame favored by 20 and a half. Notre Dame competing for the ACC this year. That's wild. I Just,
2: love it. See, I was going to say, say that one more time. In a conference game.
1: Yeah, I mean, I know they kind of play in the ACC already, but... No, but this, this is for real, this though. This is for real. This is for real. It's, it, it's, they are eligible. I kind of would love them to win the ACC the only year they play in it and then walk away. I know other people would hate that, but I think it would be hilarious.
2: Oh, I would love it. I'm all for chaos and anarchy in sports in general. That would be very funny. Not going to happen. However, interesting game here. Again, I know nothing. I say this in the podcast all the time. I use the first week or two of college football to make my evaluations and picks. So I certainly will not be betting any of these games in real life, nor should you, by the way. (laughs) but the spread is helpful to, to yeah. say oh of course
1: you know Clemson's going to win that's not fun to pick them what do, how, how
2: yeah do you of think course Clemson? and that's why this is good but all that being said i have no idea what to expect but 20 and a half from Notre Dame on the face of it it feels high okay. <laughs> so i'm going to take i'm going to take duke and i i couldn't name i couldn't name more than one or two players on duke's team that's not great to make that bet but there it is i did it
1: I'm going to go to Notre Dame. I'm going to go to the other side. I think Notre Dame is going to be a little more polished. They've got Ian Book coming back. I think having a returning starting quarterback of a decent caliber is going to be the biggest advantage in college football. So if I were someone who was gambling on things, that's where I would lean. That would be the most important thing. Again, that's something you always would know and look at, but I think it's going to be even more of an advantage. Okay, Syracuse at number 18 UNC. North Carolina, the the hot pick, the trendy team, favored by 18 and a half.
2: Trendy teams typically don't work out, but I'm a believer in Mac Brown, not at the top level, but at being a coach who wins football games. Certainly. Yeah, not a guy who wins championships, not anymore. But Syracuse, all over the place, you never know what you're going to get from them. I'm going to take the coach that has a history of preparing teams at least adequately to show up. Uh, 18 and a half again these lines are interesting i had a horrific time last year with these high teen lines and pretty much everyone you're giving me is a high teen line uh, but i'm gonna take i'm gonna take mac brown and unc here
1: Eesh. This, i feel like maybe unc they're still a young team maybe they been reading their press press clippings all offseason and that maybe they get punched in the mouth they might still win this game but that number is too high for me all right georgia tech they're no longer the triple option. They're playing at our friends, Florida State. Mike Norvell's first game. FSU only favored by 11 and a half.
2: Yeah, RIP to the triple option right there. Uh, you know, doesn't always work, especially not in a real conference. But with all that being said, also I want to go back to something you said earlier, press clippings. What a great phrase. It is. Because, like, you know, as a kid... You'd cut your newspaper article out if you like made the all-star team or something. And that was like, that was real. That was you, a thing. There was a clipping of the press. And you, I think you lose something now. You don't have press clippings anymore. You like scroll on your phone and you see it, but there's not the, the tangible press clipping. Should and you, I just love should that you, you print it. out a tweet and hang it up it's in It's not your the same effect though. Cause like, you know, you open that You didn't know if it was going to be there. Right. Yeah. So like open yeah. that. You couldn't Google search yourself. Like you open the paper and man, there I am. It's a bygone era. Press clippings. Anyway, good stuff. Uh, I'm going to take Florida State. I I believe in Mike Norvell. I've always liked him as a football coach. I think they're going to be good. Not necessarily maybe this year or right away, but against the Georgia Tech team, that's a hot mess right now. These are two hot mess teams. I'm going to take the coach that's been successful more so. I don't think FSU is ready for a double-digit line yet. I'm going to say Georgia Tech. I love it. I love how many times we're different here. This is going to make for a great uh, recap episode.
1: Okay, SMU.
2: At TCU, Battle of Texas Schools, do we have a line for this game? We don't have a line yet for this game. In fact, almost all these lines we're giving you two weeks at a time will change rather significantly, but guess what? Go to mybookie.ag and check out the lines as they update. I, this is a good game, by the way. Yeah. I mean, SMU playing well, TCU hasn't reached the heights that they once had reached, but always formidable. Again knowing not enough about each of their rosters right now uh, I'm gonna make a pick here for a longtime listener JT Raymond's wife, Jackie Raymond who went to SMU and is excited when I pick them and I'm gonna pick SMU.
1: I, that's fun I'll just I'll just take the other side there just to keep things interesting
2: here. I'll take TCU. I love it and with that Alan we're we're gonna close the pod down now we're gonna skip next week right like you mentioned and then we will be back. Why are we skipping next week? We could continue to talk about more speculative stuff, but we're saving all the meaty stuff for Scott. And then after that, we'll come back, which will be the week of our first game. And then it's it's typical Gator Nation podcast content. Yeah. Prep, if the, video, If, if film. the Gators
1: are playing, we're going to have a podcast. Um, we're going to get you ready for the season and for our first-week opponent, Ole Miss. That's going to be fun. Um, I'm ready for some Lane Kiffin season. This season's going to be great. I am so hoping... It gets played. I want college back so badly. And the fact that I think we're going to be pretty dang good makes it that much more imperative we see this happen. You know, if we're just a mediocre team, it's like, whatever. It'll be fun. I want it back. But it would be really crappy to lose this season. So I want it badly for our guys. Hopefully we see it happen. Any other thoughts,
2: James, before we close it out? I'm looking forward to getting back to what we do best. And and as a listener of the show, prepare yourself for several megisodes that I'm sure are going to happen. One will be the Strickland episode where we deep dive into a lot of your questions and keep the questions coming, by the way. If you have more questions for Scott, now that things have changed, keep them firing all the way up until that September 14th or so date, Uh, we will take them into consideration. And then the next week, we're season prepping you, going through roster, schedule breakdown, film study, who we're playing, all the good stuff that you know we know and love. And so we're right here. And along with Alan, of course, I really hope that, that the narrative stays the same or even gets better when it comes to COVID and that we're able to play some football um, and that we're able to entertain you guys with some great content. And it's good to be back in the studio. Hopefully, you enjoy this appetizer.
0: We kind of coined
2: this an appetizer. This was going to be something we give to you guys, get you started with the palettes. The main courses are coming, and they're coming very soon.
1: All right, guys, thanks so much for listening. It's great to be back in conversation with y'all. We'll talk to you soon.